We're in week two of a five-week series. Um, we're calling more of the same. We're looking at our core values as a church and where we find them in Scripture and how, uh, if we say we want to be a gospel-centered people, how our gospel centrality is on display and, and is bearing fruit in these things that we say we value. Last week, we looked at the value of uh, God's Word, the Bible as our first and final authority. This week, we're looking at uh, the value of multiplication, that the gospel of Jesus, the central uh, idea, meaning of our faith, and the central core of our, of our message is multiplicative, which means it, it multiplies. It is not static. It actually has movement. That the gospel, like water breaking over, pouring over a dam or breaking through uh, a, a dam, pours out and forms rivers and streams in places that were desert and lifeless. The gospel of Jesus is this self-perpetuating, moving, living, powerful reality. You hear this value in our mission statement as a church, that River City Church's mission is to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel. And we're going to look at two passages of Scripture today. Those two passages are Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. I've asked some friends, uh, Josh and Katie Waite, to read these passages for us as we begin our time today. So um, you can follow along uh, in your Bibles or on your app. Uh, they'll be on the screen as well. We'll start with Matthew 28 and then uh, Acts 2. You guys can read when you're ready. So Matthew... 28, 16 through 20, the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Amen. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now, a little bit of context. Matthew 28 is often referred to as the Great Commission. You probably see that uh, editorial note in your Bibles above verse 16. Jesus, risen from the dead, brings his disciples out to the mountain and to, to give them his, his final words before he ascends into the sky. And as, a, as an aside, I think it's interesting that Matthew makes note that amongst his disciples, he's going out. Now remember, risen from the dead, we talked about it last week, appeared to over 500 people who knew him. 
and here, the last, the last time they have with him in the flesh. And it, Matthew tells us, and some doubted. This is both for me funny and encouraging. It's funny because he just rose from the dead and some people are still like, eh, I'm not sure. And that's funny to me because were you here just now, right? On the flip side, where it's encouraging is Matthew gives us this insight into the condition of the human heart, where who they see Jesus with their own eyes, and yet still overcoming the brokenness and doubt of the human heart. Like, there's hope for me yet. So, in that regard, I find both of those things interesting. We'll, we'll move on. We can spend more time there, but we'll do that sometime when we study Matthew 28 in more depth. But here Jesus commissions his disciples to go and make disciples. That's what's happening in Matthew 28 broadly. We'll get into it more specifically here in a moment. And then in Acts 2, we see the beginning of the church as it spreads out from Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria and throughout all the known world to the ends of the earth. And you might be familiar with these passages. Maybe you've heard them before or read them before. Matthew 28 is often used as an anchor point for evangelism and for missional engagement. And while I want to keep it for us an anchor a scripture that we go back to to say, what are we uh, called to do? I, I don't want us to lose that, but I want to view it. I want to view Matthew 28 a little bit through the lens of Acts 2 and what we see following in the book of Acts. Because I think we often view this great commission as an uh, individual missional endeavor only. But I think to more fully understand and fulfill Jesus' words, we should see this call to make disciples not merely as a call to individual mission, but as a mark of our shared identity. Not only a call to individual mission, but a, but a mark of our shared identity. And to unpack these two passages and this multiplying effect of the gospel, we have two points. One for each of these passages of Scripture. Point number one is that all disciples making disciples. And number two is all churches planting churches. So let's look at the first one. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Jesus seems to bookend the, the what. What are we called to do? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the what. And bookending that what are two things. Look at verse 18. Jesus comes to them and says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The eternal Son of God, wrapping himself in human flesh, dies, rises again to be the firstborn from among the dead. He says, All authority in the entire universe belongs to me. That's where he starts. Gives his mission and then look at verse Excuse me, look at verse 20, the second half. Jesus says, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. These are the bookends, the guardrails, the, the, the walls of the sandbox that Jesus is calling his disciples to play in. The context of which we too are being commissioned to do is found between these two realities. Jesus' authority and that he is with us to the very end. That's important to remember. And here in the middle, we find the, the instructions, if you will. 
verse 19 and the first part of verse 20. Go, therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations. Now let's break this apart a little. This is a, a simple breakdown of the call to make disciples given to every follower of Jesus. Hear me, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is for you as well. And if you're a follower of someone, a disciple of someone, that means you are now identifying yourself with them. Look at what he says. He says, go therefore, because I have all authority, because I am with you to the very end, you go. And the go here is less you go, and it's actually more of as you are going. And as you are going, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Now, nations here is not geopolitical nation states. The, the phrase there in the text is uh, panta ta ethne. It's ethnic groups. It's tribes and families and peoples. And this is important because Jesus was clear from the beginning, much to the confusion of his disciples at first, and as we see play out in the book of Acts, as the gospel starts to leap over cultural and language and ethnic barriers, that Jesus was building for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and language. And how are these disciples made? I mean, they're not made ethnically Jewish or uh, necessarily citizens of Rome. Jesus says, disciples are made in this way. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the name of the triune God, and teaching them, he says, to observe or obey or guard all that I've commanded you. The mark of a disciple of Jesus is one who is identified with and aligned with Jesus and is working to observe and keep all that Jesus taught. And then Jesus says, remember, I'm with you. I'm with you always. I'm with you always, all the way to the very end of the age, to the end of time. Now hear me. I want us to read a text like this and be stirred in our hearts for mission. But I also want us to, uh, I want to encourage you to not only read this as an individualistic call to mission. And maybe that seems a little duplicitous. I, I want your heart to be stirred for mission, but I don't want you to just isolate it down into an individualistic thing. Here, here's what I mean. We can love a passage like this. We, we celebrate it. And then we file it in our minds underneath Bible verses about missions. So when friends like Jordan and Lexi are here going across the, the globe to work in a foreign place that's hostile to the gospel, to share the gospel uh, with university students, or, or when a missions partner is going to work in Africa to, to translate the Bible into someone's native tongue, or to work in a hospital or to train church leaders in closed countries. We file through the passages in our minds and pull up, go therefore to all nations, and we go, yes, good, that's a good one. And, and let me be clear, it's not bad. <laughs> it is good. The mission, the partners, the, the scriptural anchors, these are all good things. I don't want to take away from those. But, but for us, I want to ask the question, is it possible that because we tend to file a passage like this under missions, that we somehow think, well, that doesn't apply to me, or only maybe partially applies to me? 
we think that, well, there are those who go and there are those who send and support. And so I'm more of a sender and supporter. So I'll gladly give money and pray for and encourage those on foreign mission fields. I just don't feel called to go to those places. And hear me, I am not here this morning to guilt you into global missions. If you feel called to a people group or a place that is in need of the gospel, I will fan into flame that desire. But, but I'm not here to guilt you into like going to some foreign field. However, however, I do want to reframe our thinking a bit. We, we call it the Great Commission, and we tend to frame it in this narrow way. But I want to consider that this commission isn't just about what we're to do, but who we are as disciples that then motivates how we are then to live, no matter where God calls us. This is the commissioning of the disciples of Jesus, the marks of the disciples of Jesus. It's identity before activity. So if we are Jesus' disciples, one of the primary marks of Jesus' disciples is to make other disciples. I want us to get that. So let me ask you, as, as you are going, as you go, think about the places you go every day. Where has God placed you? How has he gifted you? Who lives in your house, in your neighborhood? Who sits in your classroom? Who works next to you at your job? Who's in your family? What are the hobbies and the things that you're involved with? The community groups? The, maybe you coach Little League like I do. Or maybe you're part of a, a neighborhood group that goes for walks. I don't know. Maybe you like to garden or refinish furniture or hunt or play softball. What are the things you're good at? Who are the people you see regularly? The stores you go into, the restaurants you frequent, even if right now it is curbside to go more often than not. Where are these places? Let's ask those questions. That's part of figuring out as you are going, right? In Fargo-Moorhead right now, well, it's according to stats and estimations from 2019, there are just under 125,000 people that live in Fargo proper. Just under 182,000 in Cass County, which is the county that we live in. This doesn't count the other side of the river. We don't talk about Moorhead. Just kidding. We like... Wow, we got an amen in the back. If you're from Moorhead, I'm sorry, I was joking. Um, but just for a second, 125,000 people in Fargo, just under 11% of them self-identify as foreign-born. It's roughly 11,000 people that live right here in our community that come from other places. So we are still a pretty homogeneous culture, by and large. But God is kind to shuffle the deck, to mix up people from all walks of life and all kinds of places, to rub shoulders and go to school together and, and work at the same places and live in the same neighborhoods. God's doing this. And from a macro scale, 182,000 people just in our county, and I have no idea what percentage of them have any relationship with Jesus or any connection to a local church. I just don't know. As you are going, Jesus says, make disciples, baptizing and teaching. 
If you've been a part of River City for a while, maybe you've seen there's a tank we set up here every couple of months where people go into the waters of baptism. There's a reason why we have multiple people in the tank when we baptize. We love standing side by side with a sister or a brother who has shared the gospel and who has been a disciple maker in that person's life. And we we love it. Uh, Charlie and I have talked about this. Devin and I have talked about this. We love being in the tank with someone who's professing faith in Jesus and someone who's else who's walked beside them. It is a joy to be able to do that. Together, we're affirming the Spirit's work in that person. We're identifying with Jesus' death and his resurrection. I put it on a post-it this week and stuck it on my wall in my office next to my computer screen. I'm praying for 50 people to be baptized at River City right here in, in a tank between September of 2020 and August of 2021. That's what I'm praying for. Maybe that number's too low. Maybe you think, Jake, get those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. You should, you should ask for more than that. Okay, I'm starting here. Would you pray with me in that? I believe this great commission is an identity marker for all disciples of Jesus. Every disciple making disciples. This is who we are, and then this is how we're going to about, go about living out this identity as disciples of Jesus, making other disciples. And this isn't something we do on our own strength. Every outward profession of faith in Jesus is a miracle. Right? Dead hearts becoming alive is a miraculous work. So what I'm praying for is God to do the miraculous. And I'm praying that in His kindness, He would use us to be bearers of that good news. Discipleship happens in the context of this local body. And I will make this contention that long-term gospel-centered disciples grow in the context of a local church. This is how discipleship is connected in our thinking to church planting. Uh, Pastor Tony Marita, he's a part of Acts 29. Uh, I'd encourage you to read just about anything he's written. He says this, The command that's given to the whole church is the Great Commission, which technically is make disciples. And that central command orbiting around it are these actions, going, baptizing, and teaching. And so I would say that every Christian, every church member must be about the Great Commission. But what I would say about church planting is that the Great Commission points us to church planting because the context in which we baptize, teach, and disciple is the church. And so we're going to make disciples among all nations in view, Marita says, in view of planting churches. If one of the primary marks of being a disciple is making disciples, then one of the primary marks of being a church is the planting and starting of more churches. Point one, all disciples making disciples. Point two, all churches planting churches. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. By the time we get to the end of Acts chapter 2, Jesus' disciples are doing what Jesus told them to do. They were living out this disciple-making identity. And look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Look at verse 47 at the end of this section. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They are just going about living the life of a disciple of Jesus and oops, a church breaks out. 
We'll get into this a little bit more next week when we look at the core value of community. But part of what's starting to develop here is what Paul talks about in Romans 12, this concept of belonging to one another. If you want some pre-reading for next Sunday, start reading Romans chapter 12. When you become a disciple of Jesus, you become a member of Jesus' church. And while I think there are distinctions to be made when we talk about evangelism and fellowship and discipleship, sometimes I think we draw those lines a little too hard. This will be overly simplistic, but just go with me here for a second. The idea of evangelism, of sharing and proclaiming the gospel, we talked about it, referenced it last week. It's the telling of good news. Simply speaking, it's gospeling. It's good newsing. I know that's not a word, but there you go. Right? Evangelism is gospeling. Discipleship. What is discipleship? It's the teaching and equipping of applying that good news to our lives. It's gospeling happening in real time. Fellowship. What is fellowship? It's, in, it's encouraging. It's life shared together by people. As Christians, our identity has radical implications for the way that we live now. Our gospeled lives now look a certain way. And the example we see here in Acts 2, we see it in verses 44 through 47. Look what it says. They were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions. They were giving to others amongst them as they had need. Day by day, they met in the temple. They broke bread in their homes. They received their their food with glad and generous hearts. They praised God, enjoyed favor with one another. This is a, it's a different picture, isn't it? As a side note, these verses here are descriptive. They're describing for us the gospel effects in the lives of Jesus' disciples. And they are descriptive, not prescriptive. These aren't commands, but they are examples of how this church, early church, lived in light of their transformed lives. And so we have to be cautious not to turn these into commands. It is worthwhile to let their example challenge our preferences and our preconceived notions and our sense of... trying to think of the right word. Individualism. I was going to say something else, but that might be too harsh. Individualism. It's good to let this example challenge us. And here's a statement that actually might get me into trouble. Discipleship disconnected from the life of the local church is at best incomplete. Discipleship that's disconnected from the life of a local church is at best incomplete. Now hear me. I in no way mean to disparage our partners who are working on campus with crusade and university and navigators. I and no intention at all to disparage missions organizations on foreign fields who are translating scripture, who, who are, who are uh, meeting people's physical and practical needs, who are sharing the gospel in hard and faraway places. There is no disparagement or discounting of their work. Hear me clearly. But I believe the biblical record and, and expression is pretty clear that robust Healthy discipleship is connected to the life of a local church. Because discipleship does happen all the time in many ways. One-on-one, small groups, on campus, amongst co-workers, 
cross-culturally. But the model we see is that disciples are anchored both to their individual identity and to their shared identity. It's both. Look again at verse 44. And all who believed were together. Right? And look at verse 46. They attended the temple together. They broke bread in their homes, uh, apparently together. I'll say it again. Long-term, gospel-centered disciples grow in the context of a local church. This is why we're passionate about church planting. It seems to be the natural outflow of healthy discipleship. The gospel's proclaimed. Men and women come to faith in Jesus. They become disciples of Jesus. They become members of one another. They grow in their identity as a disciple. And they begin then to proclaim the gospel to others. And then other people around them, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous work, they become followers of Jesus. And on and on, multiplying disciples and growing community and growing the church. And so the as you are going then spreads to the next person and the next and the next and it continues to spread. So disciples proclaim and gather and the church grows. So to quote Tony Marita, we are going to make disciples among all nations in view of plants and churches. And that doesn't just mean only new churches springing up. It, it speaks to healthy, vibrant churches embodying living according to our identity as disciple-makers. In fact, in many places in the upper Midwest, here in North Dakota, particularly in smaller and more rural areas, the desire for church planting and healthy, multiplying discipleship is often expressed in churches being revitalized, where faithful men and women labor in small towns and in hard places to live out their shared identity of disciples making disciples. That's why church planning is part of our DNA. If taken to its logical end, if discipleship taken to its logical end, it must result in the multiplication of leaders and the multiplication of churches. It cannot just end on itself. And in the days and months ahead, we want to connect you with more church planting and church planting efforts in our region. Perhaps some of you might even get jobs in places like Bismarck or Sioux Falls or Valley City. You might partner with churches and church planting movements and revitalization projects. You just don't know it yet. This is the natural outflow of a gospel life, of a discipled life, because the gospel multiplies. All disciples making disciples, all churches planting churches. Now, as we, as we close, Ephesians 4, Paul says that it's the role of church leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In this case, uh, as your pastors and as your elders, we feel responsible to equip you for the work of disciple-making. And this happens in a variety of ways. I'm just going to highlight a few. One of those ways is our corporate worship. We believe it's a key component to discipleship. Specifically, The preaching of the Word of God, the sharing together in the ordinances, uh, praying the same prayers, singing the same songs, believing the same truths. Corporate worship is a key part of discipleship at River City. Community groups are another key component to discipleship at River City. Mashing together the fellowship and the outward mission of a disciple. Building relationships, meeting the needs of people, 
in our community and in our city. Our ministry and our mission dollars, we call them, we call it our catalyst fund. The, uh, of the dollars that come in, 13% goes into the catalyst fund. 10% of that, or 10% of that, thir- or 10% of the dollars that come in, out of the whole 13, are angled, trying to make a way that made sense, math, um, are angled towards church planting and church planting efforts. Why? Because we want to contribute to church planting and church revitalization in our city and in our region. We want to partner with other like-minded churches in these endeavors. We want to train and equip men and women as leaders in the church and send them out and support them to lead in places big and small. We want to plant more churches directly. We take seriously the responsibility to equip each of you as disciple-makers. So it's not an in either-or. It's a box D, all-of-the-above approach. I mean, think about it. A hundred of you, each with five relationships, five possible discipleship connections, has an effect of 500 people in discipleship relationships. 500 people who now have, a, have an anchor point to know where they are in relationship to Jesus. And that's just a hundred with, I'm sure you know five people. Right? Now, put that to 200 people. Or, or maybe you know 10 people. Right? You see how the math works here. It results in more people invited into gospel community, which results in community groups needing to multiply because living rooms and backyards are full now. And so the equipping of men and women to help lead in those groups and care for those people is necessary, which leads to more groups multiplying and the map on the wall filling up with little red houses where more people are meeting, which results in the potential for churches to be started and planted and leaders to be sent out. We don't just start looking to train and equip like one special person who can reach a thousand people for Jesus. We are together being built as a people spread out on mission. And perhaps you aren't sure what to take away from this, where to go from here. Can I just encourage you, go back to that first set of questions I asked you to consider. Do a little bit of a discipleship self-assessment. Where has God placed you? Where do you live and work? Who's in your family? If you're a parent right now, you have a primary discipleship role with the tiny people who live in your house. Who, who lives next to you? Who lives around you? Who do you work with? What does it mean to be a disciple and to make disciples in that unique place? You have to answer that question. And maybe you don't feel equipped or capable if I can, maybe take one step further back and, and demystify this idea a bit. What does it look like for you as you labor in the Spirit's power to follow Jesus yourself, to live as a disciple in your every day? And what would it look like to bring one other person along with you? Do you have a regular Bible reading plan? Do you have something that you're studying? What if you asked your preteen to join you in your Bible reading or your co- or a coworker or a roommate to say, hey, can we do this together? To carve out time over lunch once a week, to instead of eat, just pray for a while. 
or to carve out one evening a month in your schedule, one night in a month, where you intentionally open your door for hospitality to invite in a neighbor or a coworker who under other circumstances, maybe you wouldn't always hang out, but to get to know them and to love them and to serve them, you carve out time to do that. And now some of these things even might seem like too much in your busy schedule, or you might not feel equipped to have those kinds of conversations. Can I just encourage you? I think God delights to grow our capacity and to grow our ability to make disciples while doing the work. A a learning on the job, in our discipling, in our time spent with others, as we are going that God continues by His Spirit to equip us for what He's calling us to do. Friends, this is something we are sharing together. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we are disciple-makers. And if there isn't outward discipleship growing in us, then our discipleship, our, our own discipleship as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, needs to grow to match. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we are disciple-makers. This is our shared identity. And this gospel that saves us is the gospel at work in us, making disciples. And as it does its work in us, it spills out of our words, it spills out of our hands, and multiplies in the lives of others. May God continue to multiply His gospel in us and among us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that You are kind and patient You are long-suffering. And you call us first out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And then you call us to, to follow you. And along the way, you train and equip and build us up for all that we need that we might continue to bear faithful witness to your work. Father, I pray you'd grow us as disciples. We confess our inability to manufacture this in ourselves, and so we ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would do the work necessary in our hearts. Help us to see and embrace and to be filled with joy and anticipation and excitement for this identity that we have, that we are hidden in you, That we belong to you and what you call us to is to invite others into this kind of life. Would you help us? Would you work in us? And would you be gracious to give us glimpses of you at work, wherever that may be, and give us courage to join you there. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.